be seated. So we're in the book of Ephesians, and as Paul finishes this first half, and it's all about being reconciled in Christ, Paul today calls us to think bigger. Whatever it is that you think being in Christ is all about, think bigger. So chapter 3, verse 14, if you wish to turn to it, you can follow along. Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. The reason that he's praying and praising chapter 1 is that we were nobodies, but God adopted us. And we were slaves, but God redeemed us. And we were destitute, but God gave to us an inheritance. Each of those words, as we've seen, is like a mini parable to say the same thing. We did not deserve this. We did not earn this. We did not achieve this. It was all a gift. It was all grace. And I just feel that Paul maybe senses that he's losing the reader a little bit. They don't believe him. They're not tracking with him. And so in chapter 2, he turns up the language and makes it even more intense. You were dead, but God raised all of us. And, you know, maybe that's not strong enough. You did not exist, but God created you. Try being a corpse, resurrecting yourself. Try not existing and making yourself exist. No one in the right mind, no one in the right mind believes that non-existent things can bring themselves into existence, except for Richard Dawkins. No one believes this stuff. But uh, one of the most frequent things I get asked by people, even believers, is how do I get right with God? And Paul's answer is, you don't. You can't get right with God. We are saved by grace alone, in Christ alone. He makes you right with him by grace. Getting this, understanding this, seeing this, Paul, for this reason, bows the knee. He praises the God who saves him in Christ alone. In Christ alone is one of my favorite hymns. I absolutely love that hymn. You know, the tune's a bit Irish, but I forgive it because the lyrics are great. And, you know, I am notorious for getting the lyrics of songs horribly wrong. And Kat will tell you, I just walk around the house regularly singing complete gibberish. <laughs> that the passion version of Here's My Heart, Lord, it took me two years to figure out the lyrics to one of the most simple songs in Christendom. All I could hear was, it might That's all I could hear. I couldn't get any of the, the syllables or anything, the consonants. Uh, I, I genuinely thought for a little while that the lyrics to that song were, is my ironing board. And, <laughs> like, if it, that wasn't bad enough, singing this, I, I started to, to like, question, is my ironing board? Like, it's a really difficult existential question to answer, isn't it? You know, I decided that, that, philosophically speaking, it is a properly real thing. I was using it to iron something. I decided, I think I've answered the question, it is. <laughs> <laughs> the comedian Peter Kay has a whole reel of different songs that famously people have misheard. My favourite, because it's vaguely theological, uh, is by Sister Sledge, and it's called We Are Family, if you know that song. Uh, and within the song, there is an absolutely undecipherable lyric which I believe is, just let me staple the vicar. Have a listen. <laughs> just let me staple the vicar. Just let me staple the vicar. 
So, you know, bringing it back to the Bible, I just wonder, <laughs> are some of us getting the words wrong to really well-known Christian hymns? Are some of us going around singing, you know, in Christ a lot? I wonder maybe if we are. Or uh, maybe in Christ a little, my hope is found. Maybe that's our song. Some of us, let's be really honest, we're singing a completely different hymn entirely. In wealth alone, my hope is found. That could be the anthem of our town, could it not? In looks alone, my hope is found. What if I don't look right? Uh, my, in, in grades alone, my hope is found. That is the false doctrine that is taught to everybody under the age of about 23 in this land. In grades alone, my hope is found. What if I fail? Well, we haven't read Ephesians 1 and 2, if that's how we're thinking. We were, chapter 1, in obscurity, in slavery, in poverty. Chapter 2, in death, in destruction, until we were raised Paul says, in Christ. And it is a gift of grace. It is grace alone, Christ alone, faith alone. Chapter 1, verse 19 says, this gift of grace, we can't even really explain it. It is immeasurable. Chapter 3, verse 8 says, it is unsearchable. We actually lack the capacity or the language to get the lyrics to this song right. We can't explain grace. The magnitude of what it is that God has done for us in Christ is really beyond human language. And so for this reason, all Paul can do is bow the knee. All he can do is worship. <clears throat> to bow the knees is significant. Christians, we kneel, we pray, we kneel a lot in church. Jews stood. It was very unusual for a Jew at this time to kneel and pray. There were just a few examples under the old covenant of this practice. So... Solomon, when the temple is opened, kneels. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, before his crucifixion, kneels. Each of these unusual examples are demonstrating something proximate about the power and the, and the holiness of the presence of God. And, and Paul, catching a glimpse of what it is that God has done for him in Christ alone, through grace alone, does the only thing he can do. He falls on his face and he says, thank you. Verse 16, then he prays, prays for his church, prays that they would see what he sees, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Paul gets it. Paul gets a glimpse of the immeasurable and he starts to think bigger. He falls down and he prays that his church would get it and start to think bigger as well. And he prays that they would get it, he says, in the inner being is literally the inner man or the inner human. Really weird phrase, the essence of who we are. That we would get the fullness of God within the essence of who we are. A deep work. Not just that his church would, would call themselves Christians, but that they would be fully caught up within the strength and within the power of the Holy Spirit, within the essence of who they are. Paul wants that for Ephesus. I want that for Fox Chapel. I want our church to be caught up in the fullness of the power, the strength of, the, of who God is. There are things, when we see this, that we will be called to do that in our human strength we do not believe we can do. Maybe 
as you're filled with the power and the strength of the Holy Spirit, you'll be called to, to lead a group or share a testimony at the microphone or, or fund a mission or serve in some way. Maybe you're being called to do it, but you're not doing it because we're not thinking with the mind of God. We're thinking with the flesh instead. In the power of the Holy Spirit, the impossible happens. So do you get it? And if you get it, are you seeing that it's bigger than you thought that it was before? And are you starting to think bigger? If you are saved, you are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The word is dunamis, from which we get words like dynamo and dynamic. That's the word power. It means power source. That's your power source, Christians. And in verse 17, Paul prays that Christ himself may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength. That word is exousio, like the word exercise. Power and strength, dynamic exercise. <coughs> That is what is at work within you, deeply within you, through the Holy Spirit. You can do more than you think you can do. Do you know what a sleeper is? Does anybody know what a sleeper is? Uh, a sleeper is a car that looks normal from the outside, but has been breathed on under the hood. It's had all sorts of things. It's been tricked out. Big bore kits and superchargers and turbochargers and nitros and there's a lot more under the right foot than you would think just by looking at it picture the scene with me a man or a woman pulls up to the lights in a Bugatti yeah thank you very much we're back to Monty Python they pull up to the lights in a, in a Bugatti Chiron Supersport which you will well know has 1578 horsepower and it has four turbochargers, and it has a W-configured head of 16 cylinders. It is the fastest street-legal production car in the world and does over 300 miles an hour, and alongside this amazing vehicle, you pull up with a warm-up baseball cap, barely covering your mullet, <laughs> driving your 2003 Chevrolet Impala. And let's not be cruel. This is the fancy one, the 3.8 that you're driving. <laughs> and uh, next to this goddess of the track, you look like Cletus the slack-jawed yokel in your horrific vehicle. And they look over at you and they sneer and they say, you know what, I think I've got this. Because looking at your car, it is objectively awful. And the lights go green and you smoke them and they're like, what happened? <laughs> Sleeper. That is a Christian. Wake up, sleeper, says Paul in Ephesians 5. First Samuel says to us that man, or woman, looks at the outward appearance, but God looks at the heart. Second Corinthians says you've been breathed on. That's what car people say happens to an engine. God is a petrol head. Isn't that awesome? God likes motor racing. <laughs> Duh. You know, I'll go, at some point, we'll go into the difference between superchargers and turbochargers. It's, it's a turbocharger. It forces air in. It doesn't suck air out. We'll get into that another time. Let's get back to Scripture. It says, God says, we have this, you know, this turbocharged life with this energy, this power, this dynamism, a treasure, Paul says in another letter, within jars of clay. You know, a powerful engine under the hood of a 2003 Chevrolet. And... Uh, the power of the Holy Spirit strengthens us within the inner person, he says.
some of the most powerful Christians have been the most frail. You might be on your deathbed, and you might be the most powerful and effective Christian in this room. Paul says to us, that is our roots, that is our foundation or grounding. Just mix his metaphors because he can, but the point is the same. He is our strength. Maybe your big problem is you don't know that yet. Maybe your big problem is you don't know how much power you have under your right foot. Paul prays that we get this. And as we get this, Paul prays that we would start to think bigger. Whatever it is you thought being in Christ was about, think bigger. Perhaps uh, you're not stepping out into this calling because you're not thinking bigger. And just dial it down a moment. Perhaps you're not stepping into something new because you're actually struggling. What does this message say to you if you're having a difficult time right now? Perhaps it's not something new. Perhaps it's time for you to be rid of something old. Perhaps for you it is some sort of addiction that God wishes to overpower. And maybe you've sort of conquered it in human strength, but it's reared its head time and time again. And maybe it's a depression that you're suffering. That is not your fault, but it can be overwhelming, can it not? I imagine 30, 40% of this room has been through it or is going through it if the stats are to be believed. Maybe it's something external. It could be financial, it could be something at work or at home. Let's name it. It could be demonic. There could be some power of the evil one oppressing you in some way. God wants to empower you in a situation where you feel powerless. And then not merely to bring you up to a place of neutrality where you can catch a breath, but to breathe on you the breath of God himself, enliven you and charge you up to do something new. Drivers, Paul says, start your engines. That's the message version. You won't find that in the ESV. Paul prays in verse 18 that the Ephesian church would get this, that the Ephesian church would think bigger, that they may have strength, he says, to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth of God's power and love for them. Let's do a side note for a minute. With all the saints. Just see that there in verse 18. Looks like a throwaway comment. It's significant with all the saints. The saints, as we have seen, they're just ordinary Christians. They're not a small group of people with an icon and a funny thing around their head. The saints are all Christians sanctified by God. Dead ones and living ones. The church militant, that's here. And the church triumphant with God now. With all the company of heaven. We are the saints. Where are the saints? Well, the saints are in church. Paul takes it for red that if we're going to comprehend this thing, we're going to comprehend it with all the saints. Where do you go to comprehend this stuff? Church. Faith is, by God's design, a corporate experience. We come together to comprehend God. If you're not with believers, you will find it difficult to think bigger. And if you waft in every few weeks and trundle off more often than not to some other God, you will find it difficult to be in anything more than in Christ a little. In Christ a lot is a pipe dream for you because we gather together to comprehend this stuff. If you don't come to church, you will likely leave confused by a sermon like this one, underfueled, 
Uh, God's plan is to reveal the magnitude of his grace to us when we gather together, primarily within the life of the church. This is why we always see, wherever we are, that when Christians gather together midweek or whenever, in homes, over lunch, it doesn't matter, when Christians get together, they grow fastest. And this is why one of Satan's greatest aims is to do anything he can whatsoever to stop you from coming here. We don't really write in it anymore, but in the Greeters book, there's a column on the far right that it could be called the excuses column. Like, it's not called that, because that would be weird. But it could be. And there are pre-typed excuses for low church attendances. It's unbelievable. One of them is the Super Bowl. Like, in advance, years in advance, we've planned to have no one here during the Super Bowl. Well, that's optimism, isn't it, right? (laughs) With the Steelers, but, um, you know... As though somehow a game played 12 hours later than church in a different state by two teams that we don't support would mean that you wouldn't come to worship Yahweh. Like, ugh. But yet somehow that's, that's how we think. Together we comprehend. It's not even Aussie rules football. It's not even a real game, is it? I know, I look at it, it's like, it's not rugby. It's not even a real game. <laughs> We're going to comprehend this stuff when we gather together. Comprehend is a cool word. It's weird. It means to lay hold of, seize, or make your own. We're going to make our own that which is incomprehensible. We're going to measure, he says, the breadth, length, height, and depth, the full magnitude of every angle of God himself, even though he is immeasurable. And he knows we're going to go, yeah, right, Paul. Come on. Speak silly. And so... He says the same thing a different way. He says, you will know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. And then, sensing we're still not with him, he says, be filled with all the fullness of God. He prays that we would measure that which is immeasurable, that we would know which, uh, that which is unknowable, and we will be filled with that which cannot be contained. It is an extraordinary idea. What a remarkable picture this is of a believer comprehending God. Are you, are you thinking bigger yet? Well, this is my preacher's glass, and it's been upgraded. I normally get a six-ounce glass. This one holds eight ounces of pure gin. And <laughs> um, we all keep making the same joke because we're hoping that someone plays this joke on one of the other preachers. So it is, in fact, water. Um, but it'd be really funny in two weeks' time if this was spiked with, with vodka or something, because Ben's preaching. <laughs> in their kindness, the altar guild put this out for me as I preach, because uh, I go on too long and I need to refresh. And um, why is it that the altar guild left an inch at the top? Why did they not fill this glass to the brim? Why did they not do this? Do you think? I mean, come on, it's obvious. We'd spill it. I'd, of course I would spill it. I'd have to drink it right there. Why? The altar guild don't want me to make a, a mess. Um, if we are filled with all of the fullness of God, what will happen? We will spill out. If you are filled to the brim with the fullness of the Holy Spirit, the minute you move, you will spill and overflow. And if there are people around you, you will spill onto them. And as you empty a little bit, you've been promised that you'd be filled with the fullness of God. And so God will refill that which spilled over. Some of us are not spilling over onto people because we're not here. 
And some of us are here, but we're not spilling over because we're not doing anything. We're not moving. Some of us saints, we've, we've started to stagnate. Now, uh, our kids always need water at night. And it always seems to surprise them that they need water at night. <laughs> Having assiduously avoided the stuff all day long, every night at about 11pm, they suddenly discover that they are in fact parched. Children dehydrate the moment the lights go out. It's a scientific fact. There is a, a link that is yet to be explored scientifically. Uh, they always, always ask for a glass of water just as I'm falling asleep. I'm going to confess something to you. It is worn thin. Sometimes I cannot be bothered. Sometimes we say to them, look, you've still got a glass of water left over from last night. Just drink last night's water instead. And they don't want that. Some of us within the marriage, let's say, some of us within the marriage have even pretended to get fresh water for the children and just picked up the stale glass and walked around the landing and, and put it back. Some of us have even poured it into an empty glass to try and convince them. But the thing is, they don't want old water. They can tell that it's old water. They find us out every single time, and they demand something fresh. They can tell if it is even a day old. Now imagine year-old water. Imagine ten-year-old water. Imagine that this glass had been filled for me in 1973. Would I want to drink it? Assuming there was any left. Many of us in our spiritual lives seem perfectly happy with this idea. Well, I had this amazing spiritual moment in 1973. I was filled with the Holy Spirit. That was enough for me. I haven't needed anything else since. And I've been completely stagnant ever since. Want a drink? <laughs> uh, no, that's gross. That was never God's plan for you. God's plan was never sort of, you know, one and done. It was never his plan to just give you some filling of the Holy Spirit back in the good old days and let you coast on through life for, you know, the rest of it. That was never God's plan. Having been powered and having been strengthened by something as dynamic and exercising as, as the Holy Spirit and having been filled with something as abundant as the Holy Spirit, his plan was for you to move around and to spill out to be refreshed and to overflow and to abound, animated and spilling onto everybody around you the fruit and the power and the gifts of the Holy Spirit himself. His plan was for you to soak the saints with the Holy Spirit. You know, in an alternative reality where I've not had my medication, I would just fling this glass into the congregation to prove my point, but I've grown up. I'm 41 years of age. I'll do no such thing. But his plan was for us to get it. People in the front row are like, oh, that's why they sit in the balcony. His, his plan was that we would get it, and having got it, his plan was that we would think bigger. You are God's gift to the church. It is rubbish when you're not here. I mean, it's not really rubbish. It's pretty good, but it, it could, it's better when you're here. It's a lot better when you're here. We miss you when you're not, and we love it when you are, and it makes it better because if you're filled with the Holy Spirit, you're probably spilling onto us, manifesting the Holy Spirit and making us realize this stuff is bigger than we thought it was. To him, verse 20, 
who is able to do far more abundantly, which means over or beyond that which is itself over or beyond measure, to him who overflows and overmeasures that which is overflowing and immeasurable already overflowing, that all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, verse 21 says, to him be glory in the church, you see that together, and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations. In God's plan, there are no individual Christians. And there are no ghetto churches where there's just one type of person. There's not young churches where everybody's under the age of 30 with cool haircuts. Or old churches where everybody's over the age of 80 with no hair left. Right? That, or, you know, 41 and getting there. There's, there's, there's no design like that in God's economy of ghetto churches that just reflect one weird sliver of humanity. God's plan is that we would gather together and bless one another, that we belong together and the generations would bless one another, that it would be intergenerational, this this overflowing of the Spirit. What a beautiful picture of eternity it is when, when we kneel at this communion rail here and we have four generations receiving from one table. Our youngest communicant is two. Our oldest is 98. So close to spanning 100 years. You know, that is a glimpse of eternity. Just a snapshot of what it is going to be like with all the saints. That is God's economy. That is God's plan. So think bigger. He even goes there with his final words, forever and ever, eternally. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, some of us are battling things that have been difficult for us. And I pray that as we think bigger, you would release us from those things. Some of us, Lord, have been released from things, but have felt stagnant in our faith for a long time. So please animate us and fill us afresh. God, some of us are being called into really great and significant things. Perhaps we all are. So please, God, give us the ability to to think bigger and to think with your heart and mind, not the flesh. Father God, would you liberate us from stuff? Would you free us to do stuff, empower and strengthen us? In the matchless name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.